All right. Uh, so who is the most famous person that you've ever met? That was the question I sent out uh, in this week's uh, uh, Ray, our, our weekly email. And I'm pretty impressed uh, by the, the people, how we're connected to people, such as we've met Johnny Cash, uh, we've met Jimmy Durante, I think we've met Frank Sinatra, uh, we've met Gopher from the Love Boat, uh, we've met a whole bunch of, of different people. Uh, it was interesting even to talk with our, our intern, Vicar, this last week. I asked him the same question, and we actually share uh, the same name that we, we've both met. And, and so we, we wasted time, probably half an hour, talking about our brushes with fame in this world. Our, we weren't wasting half an hour. We were bonding. We're still at that bonding stage, right? Getting to know, getting to know one another. But why do we ask that question? Who's the most famous person uh, that you ever met? Why don't we just ask, well, who's the least known person you've ever met? I suppose there's a real practicality to that. If I ask you, well, who's the least known person you've ever met, and you give me a name, and I'll be like, okay, instant conversation stopper, right? I, I have no idea who you're talking about. But if you say, well, you met a Johnny Cash or a Jimmy Durante or a Frank Sinatra, it's, oh, really? Uh, how'd, you, how'd you do that? Where'd you meet them? What's the, what's the connection and that type of thing? And, and just like that, we'll waste half an hour or so. Well, there is not necessarily anything wrong with asking that question. You know, who are some of the famous people that you've met? What are some of your experiences in life? But, but if we're always thinking about that way or asking that question, it might be a symptom of something that could be wrong or it might lead to something that's wrong. And that's really what the section of God's Word before us today is getting at. As we look at this section of God's Word from Proverbs chapter 25, where it says this, it says, Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. Now, maybe before we unpack this proverb, it's valuable for us just to talk about what a proverb is. A proverb is like a wise saying, a quotable quote. Uh, we have modern-day proverbs, so if I would say to you, the early bird gets the worm, all right? That's a modern-day proverb, or haste makes waste, all right? Those are examples of modern-day proverbs, wise sayings uh, that, that have kind of this general truth uh, that we can live by. And so, too, uh, proverbs are nothing new. They have been around for thousands of years. Uh, way back when, about 3,000 years ago, there was a king uh, by the name of Solomon, and he wrote a lot of proverbs. He spoke a lot of proverbs, mostly because he was the wisest man on the planet at the time, in part because he prayed for that. When he began his reign, he, he asked the Lord for wisdom, and God just poured it out in abundance on him. And so you can almost see people uh, you know, just coming, well, people did. They came from all over the world to glean from his wisdom. You can almost picture people just sitting there with parchment and stylus, you know, just waiting to hear a good quip or, or ready to hear some morsel, some drop of wisdom uh, to fall from his lips so that they could record it. 
And that's what they did, and that's why there's so many Proverbs of Solomon uh, that are recorded for us. And, and it wasn't just like it was short-lived wisdom. Uh, his, his wisdom would have applied much longer than just when he was living. In fact, if you were to look in your Bible, this is from Proverbs chapter 25. If you look at the heading of Proverbs chapter 25, it says, this proverb, or these are Proverbs of Solomon that were actually uh, gathered together, collected by King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah lived 250 years down the road. And so it'd be no different than if, like, if President Biden today said, hey, I want a bunch of wise sayings written by George Washington. It's about that same amount of time span. And so you can just see how, how wisdom goes beyond generations. And so let's hear what this wisdom, again, this proverb is from, from uh, Solomon today. Again, where he says, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence. Do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. Now, if we're going to look at that proverb, it's, remember who wrote it? Kids, did you catch who wrote it? Who? Solomon. And Solomon was a king. And so in some ways, this proverb maybe doesn't make sense to me. In fact, it probably tells us that he was never on the receiving end of this proverb himself. He was the king. He was famous. But he maybe was on the doling out end. He probably had people schmoozing him all the time, trying to sneak into the palace, trying to get an invite to the banquet, to the royal banquet. And, and there were times where he understood, hey, you know, he maybe had to come up to someone and say, what are you doing here? Who do you think you are? And they got the royal bouncers and they, they, they ushered him out, right? And, and the guy has to, to leave with his head hanging low and, and he's so embarrassed and he's so humiliated. So, so that's what he would have experienced. And now you say, well, why, why would Solomon write this? And, and maybe it is just that he's teaching a lesson Maybe for other people, they say, I don't want you to be embarrassed. I've seen it way too many times, and it's not good. Maybe, maybe he's even talking to his own kids. So many of the Proverbs, if you look at, especially at the early Proverbs of Solomon, they all start out, my son, my son, my son, my son. So it's like he's, he's sitting around the kitchen table giving life advice to his own kids, and he doesn't want them to be in situations where they're going to be embarrassed, where they're going to be humiliated. And I think many of us can relate to that. Either we've had kids or we had parents who told us something like this, you're not going out looking like that, right? Why do they say that? Maybe not just because you're dressed maybe inappropriately, uh, but they don't want you to be embarrassed. Just because you have blue shorts and a blue top doesn't mean they always match, right? Or red shorts or a red top don't always match. Um, or, and, or maybe it's not even that they don't want it, you to be embarrassed. They don't want to be embarrassed by you. And, and so you have, I think we get that. We try to save our loved ones from being embarrassed. And that's what Solomon's doing a little bit here. And yet that's not the main thing that he's addressing. He's not necessarily trying to save people from humiliation. What's really at the heart of this proverb. Isn't it pride? 
pride. Now, now, pride in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. Pride can be good. If it's the 4th of July and you're, you're blaring out the music in the backyard and you're maybe singing, well, who is that, Lee Greenwood? I'm proud to be an American. You know, that, that's maybe not a bad thing. I even talk about, think about that with, with church sometimes. You know what the best way to grow a church is if, if the people who go there are proud of their congregation. If you, you know, if you get asked by someone, well, where do you go to church or who's your pastor? And you say, eh, Hackendorf or something like that, or oh, I go to this light of the valley, yeah, whatever. You know, I don't think people are going to be jumping in the car to follow you to church next Sunday. But if you say, oh, I go to light of the valleys and I love it, and this, you know, that, that's a good pride. Uh, Aristotle, the great philosopher, even said pride, he called pride the crown of virtues because it says it just creates a whole bunch of confidence in people. And, you know, I, I think back to my coaching days. I used to coach my boys when they were playing basketball growing up, and, and uh, I'd always say, you know, believe you're the best player on the court. Have pride. I also followed that up. Don't act like it. But, you know, you want this sense of confidence when you step on the court or when you go into a concert, whenever you're performing, uh, and you say, be proud. But just like so many things, so many good things, just a little bit of an adjustment and something good can turn into something bad. And so too it is with pride. What Aristotle called a crown of virtues can quickly become the crown of vices. And that's what Solomon observed throughout his life. I mean, if you just go through the Proverbs, uh, just to give you a sampling of how he warns against pride, you know, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, or the Lord tears down the house of the proud, pride goes before destruction, or pride brings a person low. Uh, and I could give you dozens and dozens and dozens of more Proverbs where he addresses, where he addresses the sin of pride. And then again, we look at this one before us today. Do not exalt yourself. Don't assume a spot among the great men, the great people of this world. So the question becomes, why is pride such a vice? Why is it sometimes even called the gateway to all other vices? Mostly it has to do with where it puts our eyes, doesn't it? That it turns us all into what I like to call navel gazers, right? We, we look at ourselves. And when we look at ourselves, what does that mean we aren't doing? We aren't looking at others and their needs and the opportunities that God gives to us to love others. When we're looking at ourselves, we're not looking at God. And the opportunity that God gives to us to show our love for Him and to, to glorify Him in all that we think, say, and do. When we look at ourselves, we don't see Jesus on the cross and see Him demonstrating His love for us in, the, in, in that He was willing to lay down His life for us. And that ultimately, that ultimately is the the biggest danger of this little thing called pride, that it takes our eyes off of Jesus. 
If my eyes are off of Jesus, I don't see him being my savior on that cross, but I just look at myself and I maybe even convince myself, well, I don't need a savior. I'm pretty good. Or if my eyes aren't on Jesus and seeing him as my substitute, and my eyes are only here, I'm thinking, ah, I can stay in the game. I don't need a substitute. If my eyes aren't on Jesus and the, his, his body and his blood, which he shed for you, but they're here, then I all of a sudden am thinking, well, it's all about what I do and who I am. And that's what Solomon wants to warn against here. Because that's dangerous. In fact, there's a, uh, it's been said, pride is a spiritual cancer that just eventually eats away at your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And so the question then becomes, no longer what is pride, but do we suffer from it? Do we suffer from it? That's kind of a trick question. Because if I say, are you proud? And you say no, you're just proud of your humility, right? Or vice versa. If I say, are you humble? And you say yes, again, you're proud of your humility. You know, the story is told of a, of a town that had this big competition to figure out who is the proudest man in our town. And so they had the big competition, and they gave him a big old button to wear in that morning and said, proudest man in town. And by noon, they had to take it away because he no longer held that honor. Uh, it's so easy to, be, to become proud of our, of our own selves. I, and, and so do we suffer from it? How do we, how do we figure out that test? I, I, I will tell you, right now, we all suffer from it. Because we all have this thing called a sinful nature. And a sinful nature is concerned with one thing. Me. My sinful nature is concerned about me. Your sinful nature is concerned about you. And so by nature, you are concerned about that little letter in the middle of pride, I. Uh, or another little test that I came across in studying is this. Maybe some of you have heard of a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis, a great British writer from the 1940s. Uh, kind of famous because he was, he was atheist-turned-theologian. And so he himself has a lot of quotable quotes, a lot of Proverbs. And this was the test that he gave to say, how do you know if you struggle with pride? He said, the more pride you have, the more you dislike it in others. In other words, if, you, if, if the thing that really gets under your skin is someone else being proud, he goes, and there's a whole longer uh, lesson about our story behind this quote. But he says, yeah, if you think, if you're really bothered by someone else being proud, Maybe the proudest person in the room is the one looking in the mirror. And that kind of hurts. And so we have this conviction that, yes, pride is a problem. It's not just a problem in the people out there. It's a problem in here. It's a spiritual cancer, something we struggle with because of our sinful nature. So now the question becomes, how do we deal with it? It may be different levels for all of us. 
It's on a spectrum, but we all have it. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote? Again, to quote, uh, to quote C.S. Lewis, I thought he had a good quote here. He said, humility, which is really the antidote to pride, is not so much thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I mean, you might be think, okay, this is how I'm going to deal with pride. You know, we just say, be humble. You can't just do that. You can't force yourself to be humble. Humble humility is an action. And as soon as you think you have it, it's gone. And you can't just walk around. You know, it's not just thinking, oh, woe is me, and hanging your head down low all day and just think, oh, yeah, I'm the worst at this and I'm the worst at that. It it doesn't just mean I'm never going to go to a a banquet where I think important people it might might be. It it doesn't mean just, oh, I'm never going to talk to someone who's important so, you know, and you can define what you think is important. No, that's not it. It's this. Humility is not so much thinking less of yourself as it's thinking of yourself less. Ultimately, isn't that what Solomon was getting at this proverb today? Is ultimately, isn't that what all of Scripture is really pointing us to? That it doesn't want us to think, woe is me, but it just wants us to take your eyes off of yourself for a moment, to think of ourselves less for one reason, so that our eyes can be on Jesus more. When my eyes aren't here, then they're on him. And when my eyes are on him, and what I see him doing, and I'm all consumed with Jesus, what do we see? We see someone who didn't think of himself at all. We see someone who had the glories of heaven, and he he was God, and yet he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used for his own advantage. But he gave it up for you. He gave it up for you, humbling himself, lowering himself to to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that what would happen? So that in the end, his father exalted him to the highest place. And now, with our eyes on him, from that highest place, that exalted place, what do we get to hear? We get to hear him say, you, Come up here. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And when you get up there to his heavenly banquet, you're going to have a little place card that says your name on it. There will be no heavenly bouncer that has to usher you to the door because you'll belong because of Jesus. And you'll be there with some pretty famous people You might be sitting next to Abraham, or you might be sitting next to Moses, or you might be sitting next to Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Ruth, or or any of those people, but best of all, sitting at the head of the table is going to be Jesus, God himself. 
And you won't have to elbow Abraham next to you and say, hey, I know that guy. Because Jesus will have already publicly said, I know you, and I know you, and I know you. And that, that's something to be proud of. Amen.